0: Odyssey. Welcome to What the Policy. It is not a crime podcast, but I thought um, I would try and leverage off the, the the wave of interest in crime podcasts. And as I threatened to the last podcast, I have now I have now played around and get excited for many more many more strange introductions until I land on something that is that really captures the essence of what this show what this show is, is about. I'm here with my, my very good friend, Lauren, Lauren (laughs) Lauren was, um, a key part in, in creating what you just heard. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for this episode, we want to talk about, we want to talk about universal healthcare in Australia, known as Medicare, known as Medicare. And Lauren is a great person to talk to because Lauren is studying to be an exercise physiologist, it right? Yes. Excellent. Yes, you did. Maybe first thing, Lauren. Can you tell us what what is an EP as you as you call it?
1: <laughs> EP, <Everybody, laughs> as all the cool kids call it. ep Exercise physiologist. You get a bit tired of saying that all the time in my profession. I'm kidding. I'm studying. What am I talking about? Anyway, so um, pretty much, what an exercise physiologist is is they use exercise as a form of medicine mm. um, to help people, not just chronic. Or clinical conditions, but to help improve overall health. The goal is not to entirely replace medicine itself, because obviously we understand that medication is still really important for a variety of conditions. But it's just to add, um, I guess, another level of care that hasn't is starting to be explored, but probably in the past hasn't been. utilized as much.
0: So I guess the immediate question people had have is, what is the difference between an EP and a physio? <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> that is a very common question. Um, I've stopped describing uh, exercise physiologists as uh, like physios, but not, because that is completely pointless. So we can, there is a lot of uh, overlap from what I've seen. Pretty much uh, from my understanding is physios probably prescribe exercises more than exercise as a whole. Um, So, you know, if you, I don't know, you hurt your shoulder or something like that, physios will typically give you exercises to help strengthen the muscles within the shoulder, which is obviously important. EPs, I guess, do that to an extent while, I guess, trying to use a bit more of a holistic approach, trying to, obviously, you specify on that injury. That's probably more what the physio does, whereas um, they'll, if, sometimes physios do try to work with EPs, but not always we will try and do the kind of whole body exercise part to help complement that so that they can, you know, improve quality of life, improve um, activities of daily living, just getting back to normal life. So, you know, the shoulder injury or whatever injury it is doesn't um, affect them long-term. Or post-surgery as well. That's another.
0: And it's option. very niche because it's completely different to what a personal trainer does.
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you. I have been told that um, EPs are just very qualified personal trainers. And although we both do prescribe exercise, um, exercise physiologists do do a lot of study um, to get a higher level of exercise prescription. Personal trainers typically, depending on their background and stuff, it is quite broad, work with what we call general population. So they do have to accommodate injuries and stuff as well. But exercise physiologists can work with general population, but in terms of exercise prescription they have the accreditation to be able to work with the clinical population or people with chronic disease.
0: There you go. Yeah, there you go. That's up.
1: Why, thank you.
0: <laughs> and insert here, I'm going to put a suspense note. I, I did say that this was uh, not a crime podcast, but, but we're running with the theme. So I will continue to uh, interplay suspenseful sounds throughout the podcast episode to ensure you are paying attention. Alright, so you mentioned chronic disease, which is, I, I think, a good link into talking about Medicare.
1: Mm, good segue. Good
0: segue. Alright, so where to begin? So, alright, first thing, so the reason that um, I thought Medicare would be inter- interesting to talk about was my friend, my friend Beck, suggested talking about well, what are some really big policy changes that have occurred in your lifetime. And this, Medicare was not in my lifetime. But recently, Bob Hawke, who was a former Prime Minister of Australia, he passed away. And in the media, a lot of people were referring to him as the father of Medicare, which really got me thinking. I thought, all right, that'd be interesting to explore how that came about. Because, yeah, Medicare, I think for for young people, it's just, it's always been there. It's just never really been... Well, it's been a point of contention, but, uh, but as I found through doing my research, so for context, I wrote a, I wrote a, I recently wrote a research essay on Medicare, conveniently trying to link,
1: very convenient. link
0: up with this <laughs> episode, and yeah, so in, in my research what I found was, uh, I think it was by about the 1990s or the early 2000s, Medicare was very much firmly established in Australia, like it, it it's not going to go away, Is what the research was saying. Which is interesting when you compare it to the United States. And Lauren actually lived in the States for a bit. I did. Where uh, Obamacare has obviously been mm. very contentious. Very. very. I mean, I mean, America is a very different social context, which I think it's easy to forget about because we're so exposed to it with the media. But it's very, very different. So that, that got me thinking, like, okay, how did Medicare become so established in Australia when it's really... Compared to our friends in the states. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just staring at you.
1: I know. i like I was. you were on a roll. I, I was on to a interrupt.
0: roll. Feel <laughs> free to interrupt me. Otherwise, I just I just keep
1: talking. I know. I just kept watching you, and then I was like, wait.
0: i just, <laughs> just keep going. i just keep going. fine. Uh, what well, did you did you have any any reflections from when you were living in the states about your your
1: conversations you may have heard? Yeah, because I think when I was there, definitely Obamacare was being talked about in the media a lot. Mm. Um, I probably didn't look into it too much because I was like, not my country, not my problem. But, um, um, just the access to healthcare, it's a huge problem, I think, over there. I think we definitely take for granted what we can um, get. We've definitely got a really good access to healthcare, I feel, um... I know if I just need to quickly go to the doctor, I can, even though it does take time to wait in line, I can get a bog build and mm. get what I need. Whereas from my understanding, that's not really an option. People won't go to the doctor because they can't afford it. And I think that's really sad because I, and, the, but also I feel like the attitude towards it, it's really quite bizarre because I had a lot of, I think it may have been based on where I was because for all you listening at home, um, <laughs> <laughs> I was in Oklahoma, which obviously is in the south and there are a lot of um people there who were very uh anti Obama so they were very I just feel like they didn't want to have anything to do with it purely because Obama was bringing this in mm. rather than maybe looking at actually what he was trying to implement I, I don't know that could have been part of the issue but when they were talking to me like oh do you have free healthcare and I was like well Yes, to an extent. I mean, obviously, we're still kind of paying for it, but it's still um, it still assists in some way. And they're like, "Well, it's not technically free then." And they were very defensive, and it was really, um, yeah, it was just... it's really interesting. And actually,
0: um, recently, what the policy podcast has gone international. We have some listeners in the states, so friends would love to hear your thoughts um, after we kind of explain us the australian history and context and what medicare looks like for us be really interesting to hear some people's people's perspectives and talking about bulk billing i think it it maybe maybe might be helpful for people if i i I kind of talk you through how how medicare works in australia purely because i have delved into this research (laughs) but my essay (laughs) hard to acknowledge to use so when lauren mentions bulk billing I have to admit, I really had to... I mean, it's like one of those things where you, you know what it is. Yeah. But then when you actually try to explain it, you're like, oh...
1: <laughs> Do I actually know what it is? Yeah. Or how to explain it?
0: So, pretty much the way Medicare works in Australia is there are there are three key parts of it. There's it's something called the the um, Medicare Benefit Scheme. There's the, That's not the first part. The second part is free access to public hospitals. And then the third part is the Pharmaceutical Benefit Scheme. So, the first one, the Medical Benefit Scheme, that's pretty much where you have, I had a look at it, and it, I just, it was really confusing and I stopped looking (laughs) at it. But essentially, it's this, it's a list of all of the, the services, medical, like, healthcare services you can get. And it's called a Schedule Fee. The schedule fees against the service. And pretty much what happens is the government will give you, will cover 75%, usually it's about 75%, 85% of the fee that's listed in that document. And then it's up to healthcare providers actually how much they charge for their service. So bulk billing happens when, say, you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, you know what, I could charge, I don't know, $100 for this visit. But I'm actually going to accept, okay, I'm going to accept the percentage of the schedule fee that the government will give me as the cost of the service. Does that? I hope that makes sense. It took me a while to <laughs> <laughs> articulate it in my essay. Oh, good. Thank you. So basically, um, that means that when you go to the doctor, you don't hand over any money from memory. Or it might be the case, like, so when I go to my GP, I... What happens is I pay the I pay the full fee that my doctor sets, but then I get an immediate rebate from the government. Where the government's like, Hey, actually, we're going to cover seventy five percent of the schedule fee that's listed in this horrendously large document. So I get back like, usually I only I I think I it'll charge me like ninety dollars, and then I get back like sixty or dollars or something. So out of out of my bank account, only thirty dollars is charged for that visit.
1: Yeah, and I,
0: so I guess it's good to remember. And this was what kind of took me a while to wrap my head around. It's it's up to the healthcare provider how much they want to charge you. So, so I think sometimes um, there are there are like self regulating bodies who I think might have standards for how much you should charge per se. But it's really fascinating because my first thought was why isn't the schedule fee what? So that that fee that's listed in the document, why is not that what's charged by providers? But it's because it's a it, they're like they're private operators basically. And also there's a question of well, keeping that massive document up to date with changes in you know operating costs and technology would be a huge undertaking. So it does kind of make sense. Uh, but that's pretty much how that's how the that first part of Medicare or universal health in Australia that medical benefit scheme works. And then the pharmaceutical benefit scheme, the third one I mentioned, is pretty much the same thing. So, you know, you have drugs listed and it's cheaper. And there's also a safety net. So if you're accessing a particular type of service, a lot of, uh, it then becomes... The government will cover more of it because you're accessing it so much. So obviously it means you have a chronic condition or you really need the extra help. And and then the second one I mentioned, that public hospital. So in legislation... um, the Commonwealth or the federal level of government in Australia, co-funds with our, the second level of government, the states and territories. And it, by pooling their money together, um, they fund public hospitals in Australia. So, And the state and territories are in charge of running that. So the national government doesn't worry about it. They're just like, here, take the money. I mean, that's obviously <laughs> completely simplified. But for the purposes of this discussion, we'll just leave it at that. So that's pretty much how how Medicare works in Australia. So when I say Medicare, I'm kind of talking broadly about that access to subsidised healthcare services that we can get. Now, what's really interesting is that was established in Australia in 1984. I'm pretty sure that year is right. It better be right because (laughs) I wrote about it so much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I really hope that's right. It would be really embarrassing if it's wrong. Um, so that was when Bob Hawke, the guy I mentioned before, our former Prime Minister of Australia, he introduced he re- reintroduced Medicare into Australia. Mmm, pointed at me and looked meaningfully. <laughs> uh, let me take you on a journey. Let me take, let me take let me take you all on a journey. Universal healthcare was actually first introduced in Australia in nineteen There's
1: a running theme here with the four.
0: (laughs) 1970s, essentially. (laughs) That was when it was first introduced by former Prime Minister Gough Whitlam. He actually introduced it, and that was a really radical move. A really radical change in Australian uh, healthcare policy, because beforehand it was very much just, you know, pay your own way, (laughs) look out for yourself, so this was a really radical step of actually uh, a, a, a part of a big question of grappling with who pays who pays for our healthcare and who should be responsible for it. And so, of it, considering it was such a radical move, it was very controversial and unfortunately. Uh, it wasn't around for long before the Gough whitlam um, government was dismissed. And I won't even go into that, because that's a whole other saga. We're still saga. recovering.
1: That's, just, that's, that's a so Too
0: start. soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but essentially, it wasn't around for long, and then you had a new government in Australia, and this was the other party. So in Australia, we've... we've okay, again, gross simplification. We've basically got two major parties, broadly speaking. One's a coalition,
1: but we'll just call it... we will just refer to it as...
0: It's the, Liberal, it's the Liberal National Coalition. Laura. But make
1: sure, uh, for our American friends, uh, you oh, would yeah. use Liberal as more of a Democrat kind uh, of... yeah. So, but Liberals, that's probably more what we say for the Conservatives. Exactly. Yeah, I, mean,
0: so. I mean, to be fair, like, yeah, so in Australia, the Labor Party is slightly more left, the Liberal National Coalition yeah. is slightly more right, but to be honest like they're
1: not like far left, no. far right. It's kind of more in the middle, kinda of teetering either side. Yeah, um, depending to on an
0: extent. Yeah, depending <laughs> yeah. on what the public
1: yeah. wants. Yeah, true that. <laughs>
0: uh yeah, so um that that government came in and they promptly made <laughs> they just made a lot of changes. So it was actually called Medibank originally and they made a lot of changes. The one that I thought was okay, it's not funny. I don't know why I think it's funny, but pretty much for Gough Whitlam, when he first introduced Medibank, it was so challenging. It just it it failed three times in the Senate, which is the upper level of government. It just wouldn't go through because the other the other party was like, no. <laughs> um, and originally, Gough Whitlam was like, hey, we'll put a we'll, we'll do it. We'll do a levy on taxable income, and I'll explain that in I'll, I'll explain that a bit later. And the other party was like, no, and they were like, fine. It'll just come from general tax revenue anyway. <laughs> When, uh, when the um, when the the Liberal National actually it was called the Liberal Country Coalition because the other anyway it's irrelevant the, the other the other crew were like you know what we're gonna put we're gonna do a tax on we're gonna do a levy on taxable income and like, I feel like the other party would have just collectively facepalm because it was like that's what we said originally anyway they introduced that. But then they also um, said, you can either pay that or you have to get private health insurance. It was like, a, anyway, uh, I think then they were like, a year later, they were like, nah, scrap that. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I'm simplifying this. Uh, and then they made more change and they said, actually, no, people can only access these, these government subsidies if you're um, old or if we think you're, quote unquote, socially disadvantaged, I think. Anyway, it just, there were a lot of changes, and then it had an election, and that, that liberal national country, whatever, the more conservative crew, they were out. <laughs> and Labor was back in, under a new leader, Bob Hawke. And Bob Hawke was the father of Medicare. Except what that basically meant was they went back to the original Medibank that Labor introduced, and basically said, this is how it's going to work. <laughs> That's how it's more or less stayed for like the next 30 or so years. There's been like tinkering; they've tinkered around with the the policy settings, as we refer to them in my <laughs> policy studies. But broadly, um, those three fundamental aspects of Medicare have stayed the same. So what's changed is they've kind of played around with like the amount of t- the amount of tax they've taken, or they've they've added a requirement where if you earn over a certain amount and you do not have private health care, then you have to pay more because you have more money. <laughs> so anyway, the, but but broadly it stayed the same. And what's really interesting, and again I don't I know I've, I don't want to go too much into detail because I don't know how much is I find interesting other people like. Please stop talking.
1: (laughs) Move on. Skipping through the podcast. When did she
0: stop talking about this? When did Lauren start talking again? (laughs) Um, But basically a couple of pointers as to why Medicare kind of stuck when Bob Hawke came in. Partly it was because interestingly Bob Hawke became the leader of the Labour Party literally four weeks before the election.
1: I did not know that. Yeah. Suspense.
0: Suspense. And the thing is, the labor leader before him was called Bill Hayden. Bill Hayden actually said he was the one who was like, "No, I want to, I want to talk about universal healthcare again." Because obviously, after Gough Whitlam's party was dismissed, Labor was like, they, "I just don't think they wanted to talk about universal healthcare for a while." They're were, they were a bit broken. Um, but Bill Hayden was like, "You know what? The election's coming up. Again, I'm simplifying this. So I'm probably was completely wrong. But point is, he brought it back onto the agenda for the Labor Party." And then Bob Hawke took over would four
1: you, weeks before the election. Would you say they were Hayden on Hayden? No. Oh!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, and and so I guess the question that a, a brief comment on Bob Hawke. He had he had a long history of involvement in the trade unions. So in Australia, Labor Party has got close ties with union movements, and uh, so he had a big reputation there. And Interesting. Why? Why Medicare? Because actually, looking back at that time, a lot of his more progressive policies were not immediately enacted, but Medicare was. And why that was is because um, it was a core part of his agreement with the big, the big, the big union in Australia at the time. And and that was because they were really worried about unemployment and inflation. So he wanted, he was, ne- so before he even took over the Labour Party, he was negotiating with the trade unions, like, okay, well, I want to, I want to, um, I want to, uh, I think he wanted to put a freeze on wage growth. Yeah, wage increases. But obviously the, the, the unions were like, um, that concerns us. <laughs> we don't want to freeze the wages. But part of the negotiation was, we'll bring back universal health care. As a way of, like, offsetting, you know, so you, yes, your wages aren't increasing, but hey, get some health care. <laughs> so that was actually a core part of um, that agreement. And Bob Hawke really benefited because because Australia, because poor of Whitlam had pushed through Medicare several years ago. People were familiar with how it would work, even though it'd been <laughs> changed a lot by the other <laughs> government after him people like they knew how it worked the states and territories were like yeah we've we we, we've been through this before like we get it we know where you're coming from so anyway i again i've simplified this a lot and as i've said in previous episodes please inform me if i've got something totally wrong i'm just going off my memory from the essay i wrote a week ago and yeah so that's pretty much medicare that's the hopefully that was a fascinating Story, and hopefully, the suspenseful music <laughs> in the middle will keep it, keep it live. Maybe I'll try this for another episode. Dramatic retelling of policy. Anyway, point is, um, we have Medicare, and we've had it for like 30 years. And eventually, the, 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 the more conservative party, the Liberal National Coalition, by about the 90s or early 2000s, they were all for Medicare. Which was a big change. So now, ever since then, it's just been very much like, people are like, yep, Medicare is a fixed part of Australia. And I think, yeah, as young people, absolutely, we probably would take it for granted, because it's just always been there. I'm not tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> Our policy is so beautiful.
1: <laughs> Sweet old policy.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I, I mentioned before when Lauren talked about chronic diseases. So, they've been talking about, okay, so Medicare was set up, 70s, 80s, that way of thinking about healthcare was very much fee for service. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Meaningful nods from Lauren. So, Lauren was talking before about her role as an EP, exercise physiologist, if you've already forgotten.
1: <laughs> How dare you if you hadn't, i kidding. I love you guys.
0: <laughs> Let's hear some thoughts from Lauren about, um, so obviously right now, the way Medicare works is, I mentioned before, that's the schedule fees. The government will subsidise fees for certain things, but the risk is here. So now we've got we've got an aging population, and we've got an increasing incidence of chronic chronic diseases. And that I think the risk there is. So you need more holistic healthcare.
1: You do. And a
0: problem that people are well, what people are concerned about is that the way Medicare set up is it doesn't necessarily support that. Especially you, when you were talking about your role as an EP, it sounds like you really rely on healthcare professionals talking to each other.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more conversation and collaboration between um, a lot of uh, health professionals or medical professionals—that um, is pretty much the same thing—but um, just definitely a lot more conversation and collaboration because, at the end of the day, what we're all trying to do is improve the health and well-being of people. So, according to the World Health Organization, this yeah. is the definition I know it's. Um, Overall health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So, Yeah. So the approaches that have been used mm. since Medicare came in, um, they may have worked at the time, or they thought they worked at the time, yes. but now um, just with how science and, st- and research has developed, there's a lot more approaches that um, can be used to improve overall health, but I don't know if they're you know, medical professionals are as, I guess, educated in all of those options. But I think what should happen more is uh, trying to collaborate between different health professionals who can all bring a different perspective into uh, an approach into um, improving the Mm -hmm. overall health, trying to find um, a way to incorporate into Medicare, whether it's creating more um, options for subsidising the services that, probably were around when Medicare came in. I know for me, I believe it's under, um, MBS. Benefit
0: scheme.
1: That yeah. is it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for <laughs>
0: our listeners who are probably
1: very <laughs> confused. What is MBS? <laughs> um, I think people can get uh, five sessions with an exercise physiologist, hmm. which is still good. It's, de- it's definitely a start. So uh, if it keep, if there's, um, opportunity for potentially getting more sessions, yeah. Uh, or something like that. So they, yeah. Well,
0: that makes know. a lot of sense. On that note, <laughs> any other thoughts on Medicare?
1: Hmm. No.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think if there was any, um, if there was anything else that I came
1: across in my
0: in my essay. <laughs> I don't think so.
1: I think, I mean, I it's Medicare isn't you know a top. Topic that I discuss with people, mm. so uh, particularly young people, it would be beneficial if there was a really good resource out there to help, I guess, explain all the aspects of Medicare because I think it could be quite mm. overwhelming. Obviously, your podcast, this is the perfect place to be to learn <laughs> about Medicare, and that's so good. Uh, um, I think it's really important to help explain stuff like this where people may not know where to start but it'd be really good if there was just clearer resources out there because people may not know what to look for, what to research. and Oh, that. And, totally. And I think then people could maximise Medicare a lot more, but also just to have an understanding of it. Oh,
0: definitely. I'll put, yeah. a few, I'll put a few links in the bio, I believe, from the last episode. I believe I've worked out how to do it. <laughs> because, yeah, um, so for looking into my um, my essay topic, There, there's um, a couple of websites that I found that do explain it. But, but even the um, the government website that explains it, it it does. It can take time to wrap your head around, and that's why I hope I hope this podcast has been, if not helpful, entertaining. I hesitantly put
1: forward. (laughs) No, don't hesitantly put forward. We are entertaining. We are
0: so entertaining. (laughs) Um, But if, if anything is unclear, maybe send me a message, and I'll elaborate. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Sounds good.
0: <laughs> and try and explain things because yeah, I mean that's the whole the whole reason I've started this little little podcast project is because I love policy and I like explaining it. And I and like you're saying, I think it's so important. Especially for young people, that we are informed and we understand how things work. Because that way when the government announces something of maybe a change to the the, the the levy on Medicare or changes something about it you actually can understand the language that they're using, which reminds me I never actually came back to the whole levy thing on taxable income basically the way Medicare is funded in Australia is it's a, it, it comes from general tax revenue, but also there is um, an additional levy, it's like 1.5% or something, maybe it's 1.75 no, I don't know, could be 2
1: around there, <laughs> something like that less than 2, yeah. more than 1
0: it's an additional levy that's put on your taxable income, and that's where a lot of the funding comes from. And I think expenditure on healthcare is something like um, 10% of all all, ex- all spending in Australia or something like that. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but it's fairly substantial. Uh, but it does mean it's important to actually think about, well, Medicare is firmly established in Australia, but does that mean we agree with the, the concept that our taxes should go towards providing accessible healthcare. I think it should. I definitely think um, accessibility to healthcare is critical in, um, in society. So, anyway, big
1: thanks to Lauren. No worries. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Great. <laughs>
0: um, like and subscribe. Also, please review <laughs> because I need to. I have to stop reviewing it myself.
1: She'll only take a minimum of five stars yes. on her reviews.
0: Please. If you give me less, I'd like an
1: explanation. <laughs> what <are> the references?
0: <laughs> All right. Enjoy, enjoy your night. And day. and day. And day. And afternoon. And stay tuned. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.